Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. So today, as we continue our series, I love you, but you're driving me crazy. I want to talk to you about fighting fair. And even though my illustrations this morning are going to be mostly in the arena of husbands and wives, these rules for fighting fair apply across the board. So everybody should be listening carefully. Now, to kick things off here, I have two bonus scriptures for you. Okay, they're not in your notes. These are extra verses. And the first one will bring some excitement to the men. It's Proverbs 27, 15. Men, this one is for you. The word of God says a quarrelsome wife is as annoying as constant dripping on a rainy day. And all the men said, amen. Right? A quarrelsome, nagging, critical wife. It's like drip, 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 drip. Now, ladies, lest you feel left out, the next verse is for you. It is better to have severe hemorrhoids than to live with a husband who's a jerk. And all the ladies at home said, amen. Okay, some of you may be thinking, I've never heard that verse in the Bible. All right, it's actually not in the Bible, but it is absolutely true. And folks, here's the bottom line. Inevitably, your spouse will get on your nerves and you may love them, but they can drive you absolutely nuts at times. You know, over the years, Wendy and I have had our fair share of fights in the home. And I'm actually an advocate of fighting because that's a way to get things worked out rather than just stuffing it. And that's why today's message is entitled Fight Fair. Fight, but fight fair. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. When you trace back the feuds we have, they often start with seemingly insignificant things and grow into larger-than-life battles. And let me just share a few that Wendy and I have had over the years without getting into specifics of who took which side in order to protect the innocent. The first issue I can recall was whether or not one should be responsible for finishing the backwash of a can of soda. You know, like the last sip or two in the can. And if you don't finish it, do you pour it out in the sink or just leave it partially full on the counter? Or do you toss it in the trash where that last wig can possibly leak out? Right? Who has the moral high ground on that one? And then there was what we now call the great coffee wars of the early 2000s. It was back when Keurig coffee makers were first introduced. You know, they were quick and ultra convenient and yet more expensive. Unless you take the time to fill the little one cup dealy with your own coffee grinds, which of course is a pain. But on the other hand, if you make a whole pot of coffee and one or both of you race off to work early and it sits there, how much coffee did you waste that day? Oh, the dilemma. And then there was the fact that the Keurig machines seemed to break down more often. Then you had to buy a new one. Well, about the time we called a truce on the great coffee wars, there was the plain water versus purified water versus bottled water debate. Sounds easy enough to resolve in a loving, godly, rational manner, right? And we did. $8,000 of marital counseling, and we were back in love again. It's a joke, by the way. I only spent 2000 Again, just kidding. 
But the fact is, you can look at these little things from the outside and go, how in the world did that happen over something so insignificant? And yet this stuff happens to us in our relationships all the time. And it can get pretty heated, right? In fact, just last week, Wendy came crawling to me on her hands and knees after a fight we had and said, get out from under that bed, you coward, and fight like a man. No, that didn't really happen either. But here's the reality. The reality is that all couples will fight. Why? (laughs) Because we're sinners. And our sinfulness leads us to do sinful things. All couples will fight, but here's what we need to understand. Healthy couples fight fair. Unhealthy couples fight dirty. Below the belt, jabs, undercuts, accusations. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for victory. In fact, there's a fascinating study you can read about a guy named Dr. John Gottman. He's kind of a marriage specialist. He studied couples who fight for 16 years, and he watched how they fight. And now he can watch a couple for only five minutes and determine within 91% accuracy whether this couple will make it or if they'll divorce. Because he says it's all about how you fight. It's not if you fight, but it's how you fight. So as couples, we need to learn to seek God and to learn to fight fair. Now, the primary verse I want us to focus on today is found in James 1, 19 to 20. It says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, as we break this down, I want you to see how one verse inspired by God through his Holy Spirit can bring healing and teach us not to fight dirty, but instead to fight fair. And in this verse, there are three rules to fighting fair. First of all, we need to stop. We're in a fight, things are escalating. We need to stop to listen carefully because so often we don't. I mean, James 1.19 is very clear. Everyone should be quick to listen. But what are we often quick to do? We're quick to speak, quick to argue back, quick to make a point, quick to throw a low blow in, quick to speak when we should be quick to listen. I don't know about you, but this is a challenge for me because I'm kind of ADD. And the other day I was texting someone and Wendy came in and said, I-, I need to talk to you about something important. And in my mind, I thought, okay, Brian, you need to put the phone down. But this voice inside of me said, hey, you can do two things at once. So I kept on texting and she said, are, are you listening? I'm like, uh-huh. Are, are you listening? Uh-huh, yeah, I am. I don't even need to finish this illustration because you know how those kinds of situations end, don't you? We should be quick to listen. And that means really focusing on what the other person is saying. Not just hearing the noise coming out of their mouth. And again, don't let the power of simplicity pass you by. When we start to fight, we need to stop and really, really hear what the other person's saying. Here's what scripture says happens if we don't do that. Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding but delight in airing their own opinions. A fool is like, hey, I don't really care what you're saying, but I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. And that's what we often do in fights. We're not trying to understand the other person. We just want to be heard. We just want to make our point. We just want to win. And scripture says we're foolish when we do that. We're not fighting fair. Let me give you a few pieces of advice in the listening arena. 
First, in an argument, we should repeat back to our spouse what our spouse just said. That forces us to really listen and lets our spouse know that he or she has actually been heard. So honey, what you're saying is yada, yada, yada. Okay, you don't literally say those words. You repeat back what they actually said. If you say yada, 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 that won't go well. But repeating what they just said keeps things focused on the issue at hand rather than chasing some side issues. And then the next step, and this is huge, so listen up. The next step is you validate their feelings. Men, this is tough for you, but it's a great way to minister to your wife. Even though you're upset, even though you're angry, you need to stop and validate each other's feelings by saying, I understand why you would feel this way when I do that. I understand why you'd feel this way. Now, you don't have to agree with the issue, but you can validate their feelings. And what you're saying is, when I did this action, it made you feel neglected or undervalued. And in doing this, you're keeping things focused on the issue at hand. So stop to listen. What are you saying? I value what you're saying. I want to hear you and not just you hear me. Second thing scripture teaches us is this, to guard your words faithfully, right? Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. I love Proverbs 21, 23. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. (laughs) That's just a great verse. Not a great verse to quote to your spouse in the middle of a fight, but a great verse, okay? Watch your mouth. Keep your mouth shut. When you're in a fight, do this. Ask yourself two questions. Should it be said? And should it be said now? Should it be said? You know, if you're running late to the airport, your wife says, make sure the dishes are clean. And you're wondering, why would you want the dishes clean? We're late for the airport. If you're tempted to say, why do you want the dishes clean? Because a burglar might come in and be ashamed of our dirty dishes. Okay, at that point, listen up, guys. The answer to the question, should it be said, is no. Right? For the love of God, believe me, the answer is no. Don't do that. Yes, it's possible your pastor did that. Should it be said? If the answer is no, don't say it. Because you can't take back your words. The next question is, Should it be said now? Because there are some things that need to be said, but not in the middle of a fight. There are new issues that need to be introduced and worked through, but not in the middle of the fight. You stay focused on the issue at hand, and you're fighting fair to work toward resolution on that one issue. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it'll give grace to those who hear. Notice that Paul says there are certain needs of the moment. There are good moments to say things and not so good moments to say things. You see, you can say something good, something that really needs to be said, but at the wrong moment. So one practical piece of advice is to work on your marriage during non-conflict times. I talked about this some last week. Wait until the right moment to bring things up to your spouse. Timing is everything. Because if you try addressing big time issues in the heat of the moment, it doesn't usually go well. You know, one thing I recommend to couples is that they find ways to affirm one another on a regular basis. You might try asking this question of your spouse. 
what are three things that I do that bless you? And then have them ask the same question of you. What that does is it leads to positive momentum in the conversation. It helps us to know what are things we actually do that are helpful. Now, a second question you can try after that first question is this. What are three things I could do that would be an even bigger blessing to you? You know, at that point, you've already got positive momentum. So you give permission in a safe and loving context to talk about those issues that could make your marriage even better. Now, well, to be honest, when you do such and such, it makes me feel this way. Or when you don't do this, it makes me feel this way. Because you're bringing up these things in a moment of peace, and because you've already affirmed the other person, it's easier to bring up and process those issues you really need to work on. Okay, so those are the big questions. Should it be said, and should it be said now? Now, of course, even if you follow these rules, you're still going to get in fights. And let me give you some rules for the fighting if you're dating or you're engaged right now, this is a good time to decide on some rules for your relationship before you get married. And this isn't an exhaustive list I'm going to give you here, but it's a good one. You can add to these however you see fit, but here's a good starting point. First of all, I would say to you, never call names. Never call names. Unless it's like your little pet love name for each other. Okay, Pookie Boo, I'm sorry, or whatever. Right, Stud Muffin is fine. Stay away from grumpy pants, bossy McBossy, little turd, you know, stuff like that. Unless those are terms of endearment, of course. Never call names. Second, never get historical. And don't get historical. Yeah, that's not a typo on your outline. You probably shouldn't get hysterical either. But I'm talking historical. You know, back in 1962, I remember when, you know, don't go there. We're not playing scorecards. Don't get historical. Don't go digging up bones. Third, never say never or always. Right, I know I just did, but never use the term never or always. It's one of the fastest ways to offend someone because it's rarely true. Instead of, Wendy, you never, Wendy, you always. Wiser language is, most of the time, you don't. And what we're doing is, we're showing and communicating respect. Don't say never or always. And fourth, never threaten divorce. Don't do it. It's uncalled for. You need to think the best. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says this, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. You need to be a couple that never gives up. So you're not gonna resort to that kind of below-the-belt threat. Nothing good comes from that. Never threaten divorce. And finally, when you're in a fight, never quote your pastor. Hey, don't do it. Never quote your pastor during a fight. Leave me out of it, guys. Well, Pastor Brian said, no, no, no. You got into it, you get out of it. Leave me out of it. Right? I'm at home dealing with water bottles and coffee makers, okay? I don't need that. All right, so let's review up to this point. First of all, we stop to listen carefully. Second, guard your words faithfully. And then finally, the third step in your notes, learn to handle your anger righteously. And this is so important because you will get angry. 
And you want to handle it by being led by the Spirit of God, right? James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now listen, there are some things you just got to learn to let go of, okay? If you want to have a great marriage, there are some things where you just have to say, you know what, this isn't worth it. There are times when, in the words of Megan Trainer, you got to let it go. You got to let it go. Right? Be slow to anger. I love Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. In your anger, do not sin. A lot of people don't realize this, but you can get angry, and being angry is not a sin. It's what you do with your anger. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Let me stop right here and say, if you just get this one point and nothing else we talk about today, this can be one of the most life-changing principles for your marriage. Don't let the sun go down when you're angry. Don't go to bed mad. Don't go to bed with unresolved issues, the Bible says. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, what happens if you can't work it out? One of you is just exhausted and it's like 3 a.m. Well, at least call a truce, hug, and schedule a time to work it out as soon as possible. Because here's what I want you to think about. Anytime you go to bed with an unresolved issue, what you just did is you gave the devil a foothold into your marriage. Anytime. And yes, it's that dramatic. Anytime you didn't work it out, you didn't forgive, you didn't talk about it, you go to bed and guess what happens the next day? You wake up and the little problem is a little bigger. And I'm telling you, I know there are a lot of you right now going, oh, this is so stupid. I mean, you don't know my husband, the person I'm married to. I mean, he's got the gift of being a jerk. I'm telling you, what you have today started one day, maybe years ago, when there was an issue that you didn't work through. And over the years, it compounded and became more and more complex. And what you did is you cracked open the door by not working something out. Now, let me just tell you, those of you who aren't married, the minute you get married, you're just infused with an understanding of how to fight with attitude at night. You, you get in bed, and, and here's what happens. You assume the fighting position. It's called back-to-back, -back, right? Those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. She faces one wall. He faces the other. And there's usually a silent fighter and a huffer. A silent one just lays there and, and won't move doesn't even breathe. They won't give the other the satisfaction of knowing they're even still alive. And on the other side of the bed is the huffer. And they wait about five minutes and then it's like, <sighs> and they flop over in the bed, pull the covers and go to the bathroom. They slam the toilet lid back down, get back in bed and wait a while to huff again. And you always make sure you don't touch any body parts. Am I right? You never let your foot accidentally drift over into enemy territory where you could accidentally brush. And if they brush your toe, you're like, you're not getting any toe. Don't you think you're getting, you're getting no toe. You want some toe, you can play with your own toes as far as I care. I'm sure you married couples, you can't relate to that one at all. Hey, I've done a lot of marriage counseling, all right? Okay, back to our passage here. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. You know when it's hard to sin? When you're praying. And if you're not praying in your marriage daily, you should be. And if you used to pray daily and you stopped at some point along the way, start again. Because if we're continuing to seek God together each day, guess what happens when we get in a fight? 
Well, we know we're going to be praying again today. And man, it sure is hard to fight and pray with somebody. Am I right? So do you see the power in this? It's hard to throw high-heeled shoes at someone and then pray with them. It's hard to be intimate with God and live in ongoing bitterness and unforgiveness. So when we're fighting, we don't want to react from the sinful flesh. Instead, because we've been seeking God, we're going to respond by his spirit. You know, we're not going to let our spiritual enemy get his foot in the door. In our anger, we're not going to sin. All right, as we wrap this thing up, let me just acknowledge something for a moment. I know that in the marriages represented in our church, and we've got some of you who are fighting because you don't like the way he chooses food out in public, or he doesn't like the way you leave trash in your car. We have those kinds of issues. And then we go all the way to the other extreme, where she came home and saw him looking at porn this week, or she cheated on him with his close friend. Or, or there's abuse and there's violence. And so I understand the complexity of and the range of what we've got going on. And I want to acknowledge that there's a difference between those issues. But at the same time, I want to tell you that if you're seeking God and fighting fair, I believe the presence of God can bring healing in any relationship. I really and truly do. Okay, as we close, I want to leave you with four warning signs that it's time to get some help. It's time to let God help. Now, I put these in your notes. These are four signs that you're not fighting fair. And I actually borrowed them from Dr. Gottman and put my own spin on them. First of all, there's criticizing. Second, there's contempt. Third, there's defensiveness. And fourth, there's stonewalling. And they kind of build on each other. There's criticizing then contempt, then defensiveness, and then stonewalling. Now let me just say, there's a difference between criticizing and complaining. Complaining is, hey, you, you told me you were going to do this and you, you didn't do it. I wish you would have done it. That's complaining. Criticizing is, you never do what you say you're going to do. And if you find that in your marriage, there's a consistent critical spirit, that's the beginning of a problem. And it should serve as a real warning sign. You need to pay attention to that. Because criticism then moves to contempt where there's disgust, there's eye rolling, there's sarcasm, there's the, I don't even like the person I'm with. And then from there, it moves to defensiveness. And I see this all the time. It's where the husband is going, it's all her fault. It's all her fault. And I talk to her and she's like, it's all his fault. He's a jerk. He's got the spiritual gift of being an idiot. And both sides are defensive, and neither side is owning their slice of the pie. But I'm telling you, it always takes two. Always. And then finally, there's stonewalling. And this is where it's just, I'm done. I'm done. I don't care what they do from this point forward. I am just done with this. So if you see these signs popping up in your relationship, guess what? It's time for you to admit the issue. And if you can get your spouse on board for both of you to pray together and invite God into your situation. Because when you seek him and when you fight fair, you may think there's no way this marriage could ever work. But I'm here to tell you that all things are possible with our God. All things are possible with God. And when you're fighting, stop being across the table from each other and get on the same side of the table. 
you need to make a commitment and say, we're not going to fight against each other. We're going to fight against our spiritual enemy who's trying to destroy us. And we're going to fight for our marriage with everything in us. I mean, are we going to fight with our spouses? (laughs) Heck yeah, we're going to fight. We're going to duke it out. But we're going to fight fair. And we're not going to fight for victory. We're going to fight for resolution. People, I believe that as we seek God and as we fight fair, you and I can have the marriage that God wants us to have. So please, don't give up. According to God, it is possible to work things out. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that your word gives us such great instruction. I thank you for this passage from James that teaches us even in the midst of fighting with our spouse or fighting with other people, to stop and listen carefully, to guard our words faithfully, and to handle our anger righteously. God, if we would just take these three simple steps, I know it would make a world of difference in our relationships. So God, I pray for the marriages in our church. I pray for all the relationships that my brothers and sisters have in their lives, that they would apply these truths and watch your Holy Spirit work in dramatic ways. God, we know that the people we love are oftentimes the people that drive us crazy because we're so close to them all the time. But we also know that you have a work to do inside of us to transform us, to make us more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. And so we invite you into our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit to change us. Change us so that we can love our neighbors. We can love our spouses. We can love everyone around us, even as you love them. In Jesus' name, amen.